I'm Laura Vinroot Poole. For 20 years, I've owned Capital, an internationally recognized specialty store. Capital has never really been about fashion. It's always been about people. What We Wore was created to share the meaningful journeys that inspire me. From the designers and friends I meet on the road to the men and women with whom I work each day. Everybody wants to know her Meredith German is a talented designer who has worked with Marc Jacobs, Draper James, and Reed Krakoff, as well as designing her own collection and recently reimagining heritage brand Viennan Davis. Meredith is also a fellow Southerner, and I love her stories of growing up around the iconic Greenbrier Hotel in West Virginia. How did we meet? Oh my gosh, we met. Well, I remember the first time we ever really met. Yeah. Well, you didn't know you met me. I knew I met you. <laughs> I got a dress here at Capitol. I was with my grandmother and Courtney, and mm -hmm. we came in, and you were so nice. And I bought a Leela Rose, like, gown, red. It was kind of Spanish-y with Beautiful. black like lace. flamingo-y. Yes, it was flamingo-y. Really? Ooh, how pretty. And I wore it to the Greenbrier. I, I actually remember that. It was, like, cut on the bias, super, like, va-va. <laughs> and my grandfather used to have parties, and he would, like, tell everybody on the, like, black tie night, wear a red dress or wear a black and white dress, whatever. So this year it was a red dress and mine was <laughs> flamenco, <laughs> Leela Rose. I think that's the first time I ever met you. Tell me where you're from. Grew up in Lewisburg, West Virginia with my grandparents. And why it's, your grandparents? My mom passed away when I was super young. So uh -huh. my dad brought us to live with my mom's parents who were just like bigger than life. So <laughs> They were. Yeah, West Virginia was <laughs> West Virginia, as you think, but it was really close to the Greenbrier, and our Lewisburg is such a cute little town, and the Greenbrier, as you know, is the most epic place it, ever, I Incredible. Think. Will you tell the listeners about the Greenbrier for people that don't know about the it? The Greenbrier is a big resort built in the 1800s, I think, originally. Mm -hmm. In the South, there are a lot of big old grand resorts built around hot springs or healing springs, right? Wouldn't yep. you call them that? Mm -hmm. So it was built around um, sulfur springs, which people would come to to heal themselves. And yeah. I think, I don't know how many presidents have been there, but it's this grand resort. I mean, they, there was a myth that there was a tunnel that went from the White House to... No, the there green... was really a congressional bunker there right? built in the 60s. And Congress would have gone there if there, were a if nuclear... there was a nuclear war. Really? And it was... We've been... Actually, you and I have been in it. We went... Yeah, yeah, and we stuck were. our heads in because yes. it's creepy, yes. very cold war. I mean, it's the most incredible place in the world. Talk about Dorothy Draper. Oh, Dorothy my Draper gosh. And um, she redid it. At, so during World War II, I think it was a it was a hospital for soldiers. Huh. So after that, she came in after World War II and redid it. And it was the most grand, beautiful interiors. Was she a Southerner, Meredith? No, she was. Uh, no, she was a New Yorker. Oh, was she? Yeah. Huh. And very strong and powerful what I've read about her and as just a force as a woman in that huh. time. No, she did a lot of hotels that aren't Which, still around too, like the Ex Essex House, I think. Uh, really? Yep. And she did um, in Michigan up in Mackinac. Yeah, the Grand, the Grand Hotel. Hotel. And so you grew up around that. I mean, did y'all go growing up? Yes. Going there, it was kind of like my grandparents' country club. Yeah. So the colors, as you know, are so bright. The florals, everything is like Print on print on print. Chints on chints on chints. Yeah. And it kind of affected 
how everybody yeah. dressed. I mean, everybody was in that kind of resort wear fashion anyway. So And it was always kind of loud and plaid pants and <laughs> just color, color, color. And it was my Courtney and I, my sister and I always laugh and say we were raised at a cocktail party because my grandparents <laughs> took us everywhere. And it yeah. was always five o'clock somewhere, as they said. <laughs> Do you remember, uh, what are your greatest fashion memories from the Greenbrier, other than your flamingo dress? <laughs> my grandparents, they had a surprise party for their anniversary, and my Aunt Betty always, always, always wore a boa. <laughs> and we would fight over the boa, and my sister <laughs> was chasing me around the dance floor, and I fell, and she fell on top of me, and I broke my collarbone. And <laughs> at the Greenbrier, I'm sure at maybe 10 p.m., and no one was really concerned <laughs> about me until about a couple hours later. <laughs> They took me to the emergency room. I guess that's not really a good story. (laughs) (laughs) I always think that people raised by their grandparents are much more self-assured than other people. My husband was raised by his grandmother. I think it's an unusual, actually lucky set of circumstances often. How did they raise you and what what did you learn most from them? You're self-assured, but you're also self-aware, I think. Uh And you're not raised to be, it's... It's not all about you, I guess. And they were very old-fashioned, but they were very modern in the same sense, too. I mean, my grandmother was always strong and wanted us to be independent, but more, you know, just relied on ourselves. And you have manners, and you you Mm -hmm. were raised a certain way. And I think the way they grew up, they grew up in such difficult circumstances that they had to work so hard. True. And they wanted us to be aware and to know that you have to – you have to work and you can't, you have to get up in the morning and you have to, can't sleep all day. You have to clean up the kitchen. You have to clean up your room. You have to do all of these things that get an education and make yourself a good person and give back. I mean, there's so many rules that you have to do, but they're not rules. They're just good. Basic. Yeah. Basic moral things. I also think you feel more unconditional love from grandparents than probably parents. Not my grandparents. Oh, really? (laughs) No, that's not true. I knew your grim. I knew your grandmother. No. <laughs> Which of them had the had the best style? Grandmother, oh gosh, or grandfather. It's such a good question, and I knew, I've been thinking about this <laughs> since I started listening to your podcast. They both had such an individual style. My grandfather's style was insane. He would wear these like printed silk paisley jackets. It sounds crazy. I remember to our wedding he had a printed silk jacket no he had a lime green jacket yellow pants like white and brown spectators just always just <laughs> flawless what they would wear were they both from west virginia yeah they grew both up. from charleston west virginia and childhood sweethearts no no no, no? um actually my grandmother dated my um grandmother's <laughs> brother oh really yeah <laughs> And he came back from World War II and just won her over. But they were just bigger than life. And my grandmother was so beautiful. She was so beautiful. Glamorous. What she would wear was she always, you know, had on lipstick and looked perfect. Mm -hmm. And there was a lot of rules around what we what we would wear, too. Yeah. I mean, I think that and a lot of pride in our clothes and Mm -hmm. how we dressed, what you would wear on the plane. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. I I remember when I went to boarding school for the first time, I came back for Thanksgiving, I guess, or fall break and came back in jeans and my dad about had a heart attack. Yeah. You can't <laughs> wear that on the plane. Yeah, you had to wear church clothes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Me and I will wear a suit. Do you, I know you've lost both of your grandparents. Do you still have some of their clothes? Yeah, I do. I have. I mean, we haven't really gone through my 
grandmother's house yet. I yeah. mean, it's it yeah. hasn't been soon, but it has been yeah. just a year. So there are things that everything's there in my mind of what I'm yeah. taking. But it was funny. She wouldn't – you could borrow some of her things. And even when she was 95, she was like, well, you can't have that. <laughs> <laughs> what do you know of your mother's style? Do you have – I mean, did you grow up with tons of photographs and clothes? And I know you have a, this beautiful charm bracelet you're wearing. What do you know of her style and how do, how do you think that translated or, or transferred into you? Well, it's funny when she passed away when she was 27. Wow. Courtney and I always look at these pictures of her and she seems like she is even older than me now. She always <laughs> looked and all of these stories around her like she would never wear dungarees or <laughs> she always looked flawless. Her hair was always done. She looked she looked perfect, but she was teeny weeny like when Courtney and I were looking at her jewelry this morning. You can't, her wedding ring barely even fits on her pinky. So she was just petite and very elegant. What I saw her and always, I mean, what everyone always said, she just lit up a room when she walked in. And I think because she was beautiful and just a lovely, lovely person. Your grandmother lit up a room. She was such a commanding presence. She was. My, yeah. my friend Beth got me the funniest gift after she passed away. She had all of her sayings embroidered on <laughs> cocktail no. napkins. What are some of them? Well, can I say the one about, yes. you know, she always said, you know where to find sympathy from me. It's in the dictionary between shit and syphilis. <laughs> <laughs> and the lady that Beth had embroidered this. I was like, are you sure you want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> no, she had to pay her extra because she was like a Christian woman in Texas. That is hilarious. <laughs> it is so funny. But she went, what else? Some, some of them said there's not a lot in a bottle of wine. <laughs> there were a lot of them. <laughs> so did you always want to get into fashion? Always, always, always. Since the the very beginning. So you had a quick entry into the fashion world straight to New York and to Saks and Marc Jacobs? Yes. Yeah. Talk to me about that. I worked in the windows at Saks for about three years and my bosses wow. were incredible. And I have the best picture of my um, my boss, Steve, with my grandfather at our wedding. And he was such a big influence and he's passed yeah. away too. But yeah. just taught me so much about high, high fashion. And that's something interesting about my grandmother. She wore, now when I go back and look at her clothes, they were so gorgeous, Bill Blass and yeah. Chloe and they, like beautiful mm -hmm. things. But she didn't ever talk to me really about labels and things like that. And yeah. I didn't really know much about that until I got two sacks and he would just you know, it was 1999, I guess. And he really gave me such an education about huh. about what it was. And he would sneak me into fashion shows. And <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it was, he gave me the best, my biggest foundation. She might have given me a sense of style and mm -hmm. what it meant to dress. And he gave me an actual education. Wow. From Saks, you went on to Marc Jacobs? Well, that was funny, too. I <laughs> knew I wanted to be in fashion. I hated to sew. And when I started going to FIT at night, I realized that accessories, like, oh, well, you don't have to sew. I also realized that there weren't as many people in accessories, and that right. might be, like, everyone needs bags and shoes. But Did you, you always love, I mean, you loved accessories? No, I loved. It was more just an opportunity. Like, I loved everything. I think I just knew that it was a big, big competitive industry. Yeah. And I thought there was more of an opportunity in that way. So I was talking to a woman at Saks, and she said that she created the accessory design curriculum at FIT, and she was like, it's terrible. Just go get an internship. 
and I was dating Ross at the time, uh-huh. my husband, and he said, um, well, where do you want to work? And I said, well, it was Mark. Mark was yeah, like everything. everything at that point. <laughs> and I called and happened to get through to the head of PR, and she passed me to my that my boss who hired me, she was like, oh, our intern just quit on the phone. Like I called them on the phone <laughs> and she said, our intern just quit. Yeah. Come in for an interview. And I knew, I knew if I would quit my job and was nice and worked hard yeah. that I could probably get a job. Was and that a Southern thing? You knew that, that, that yeah, I knew yeah. I could kind of maybe charm them into a job. <laughs> and my friends, we had the best, best, biggest group of friends there. And they were all, you know, head of their class at RISD, mm-hmm. like really, really talented, well-educated designers. And they all kind of like, you know, rolled their eyes. I was the butt kisser, but I don't <laughs> care. <laughs> and did you, from the beginning, you loved accessories and did you go straight into one part of it? Or is that how it works? Do you go just into shoes, just into handbags? It was, I was in handbags and accessories at first. And I worked for Katie Hillier, who was oh wow incredibly talented. Yeah. And she was young. I would you know, you did handbags, but then at that time, especially during the show, there were so many styling, we had hats and mm-hmm. jewelry. And it was such a cool experience to work under her because we got to do everything and belts. I mean, it She's was so such talented. a small company. Yeah. That, and she is. And what an amazing time in Mark's business. Yeah. And I she's mean. so gung ho and, and would take me everywhere and uh-huh. t- teach me everything. I would be in every meeting, uh-huh. which as an assistant, you really wouldn't be. Right. You know what I mean? But she would take me to Venetia Scott's house. Like wow. I was there with her at all times. And I got to know the shoe designer, Irene, who is incredibly talented. After a few years, her assistant quit and she said, hey, do you want, I'll teach you how to do this and learning from her shoes has been like one of the most valuable experiences in my career too because very few people I've realized now know how to construct shoes and mm-hmm. Irene is like brilliant I was with her in Italy what was the, the most important thing you learned at Mark I mean being around these talented educated and learn from osmosis learning, yeah, so, learning many things. so much from them and just <laughs> working and getting things done and it was really refreshing that it was a small company and and knowing that okay you you have to know how to ship like other little things there's no task too small for you to do you know right and at a certain point if you're sitting in a meeting with people at Paris in Paris at two in the morning like look around to get someone a coffee like obviously everyone wants water at all times you know (laughs) what I mean make yourself useful yeah and because everybody is replaceable yeah. I mean, most people are. So I think just working hard, I guess, and knowing that it will it, it will result in something. Because I've gone on to other bigger companies that, yeah. you know, you have to, well, we can't mail that out until tomorrow. Like weird things that, I, you know, you can get it all done yourself. So, <laughs> And then from there, you moved on to coach. Is that I've right worked, after? Yeah. I started, Reed Krakoff started his line. Mm-hmm. And we worked on it for about a year. And Fred Tremblay was from Mark. He went to he went to start Reed's collection. And what was Reed like? What was he like to work for? Oh my gosh, he's very, very charming and he's quite a leader. Yeah. And and very down to earth and very um, And a real visionary. Yes. I would say. He is. And so I learned a lot from him and about being a merchant, I think, and how smart he is about, you know, this has to be beautiful and lovely, but it also has to sell. Right. And um, he was so smart about that. And, and then I, and then went on to do Draper James. Oh, yeah. Yeah. With, yes. Oh, with, I didn't mean with, to say, oh, yeah, of course. But, <laughs> with Reese um, Witherspoon. Yeah, that was incredible, too. 
And did and, you connect to on being Southern? No, because she pointed out that I'm not Southern. She says West Virginia is not Southern? <laughs> well, it's not really. It kind of is. It's country. <laughs> well, it's country. That is below the Mason-Dixon line. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but it wasn't Southern. Like, West Virginia, you don't have debutante balls. I mean, no it's one. Southern. Yeah, it's not. Come on now. It's Southern. It's Southern, but you're right. It's more country. It's yeah. more Appalachia than. Yeah. And what was that like? That was good, too. I mean, it was a different price point. It was an interesting project. It was great. And that's how we met Richard, being in our um, business right. partner now. Talk to me before that. Will you talk to me a little bit about Meredith Wendell and your, your starting your own collection and the challenges in that and the life of that brand, which was one of our biggest brands at the pool shop. <laughs> um, I, I think we sold 1,000 belts. I think you sold 1,000 belts. <laughs> at least. <laughs> it was really great. I wish I knew I learned a ton from that, and I wish I knew what I, how I would do it now. I had such a high level of taste and experience, I guess, from Mark with leather, and mm-hmm. you know, it's always the best. And you would use all these Italian tanneries, and there was a lot of things that you would always do. And I think I never gave myself the chance to use like materials that weren't so expensive like what yeah, I was doing totally. should have been I wanted it to be maybe like Esprit or Benetton or something <laughs> like that you know so sporty and cool and mm-hmm. and it was just too expensive and it wasn't you, you right just, you just had to you, you're too yeah, much of a snob like, why who needs Italian <laughs> canvas you know what I mean it was just it it wasn't and it's funny now meeting Richard and and seeing what he does and he makes a lot of bags for his separate company overseas and all of the crazy, like, color cards he has from China are so uh-huh. weird. And they would be so good now. You know right, what I mean? Right, like, right, bad, yeah. weird nylon. and Yeah. I, th- I could do it now, and it would be, like, $100, and you would – it would be good. <laughs> well, let's do it. Um, but, but that was your also your first opportunity to work with your husband. Yeah. And tell me about that. How was that? It's good. And I can't believe – And you believe- still work together. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> and he handled the business side of it and you did the creative side? He handles, yes. I mean, he's more, I would say, more operational. Not, neither of I us. I mean, same, same now as he was then? I mean, it was, yeah, yeah same roles. That's interesting. He's a graphic designer originally. And he is creative, but he's so focused and driven. He's He does, you know, really great with the production and the. Mm. he's very organized. I know that sounds like a dumb word, but. No, it doesn't. Not, not in my world. I'd love him to come move in with me. <laughs> but no, he's good. And it's, it's, I'm sure it's weird to work with us. I mean, our desks like face each other. Yeah. But I literally can't do a yeah. lot without him now. I mean, he just, yeah. and he helps me. I mean, we've been laughing all weekend at Courtney's at my sister's that um, we all are like torturous with the ADD. And he really helps me focus. focus. Yeah. yeah. Talk to me about shutting down Meredith Wendell. Well, well, that took longer than it should have. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I remember talking to you on the phone. I remember tell- emailing yeah. you and, and you called me immediately and you said, don't worry at all. This will be, it's fine. I've, you'll do something better. And this, this is a good and the right thing to do. And you, you can do it. The next thing will be great. And did you believe that? No, not at the time, <laughs> but it was, it felt good kind of to not do it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? You're beating your head against the wall, and mm-hmm. we. It's such a hard business. It's such a hard business. You were very supportive, and it meant the world to me. Aww. 
How does it feel to talk about it now? I don't know. It's a little... I wish I could erase some Google things. <laughs> <laughs> there were times that were too early and I'm embarrassed. It wasn't... I had a, an idea. Some of the early stuff is just not not good. But I made. I tried to make stuff in New York and that was oh, really bad. Really? The more I know, the more experience I have, the more I don't know anything. Does, is yeah. that bad yes. to say? No, it's so true. You know, you learn so much every day and the minute you think, oh, I've got this under control, you <laughs> don't at all. So in hindsight, I, I don't know. It was a good, good experience. And it did bring you to what you're doing now. Yes. Will you talk about that? Yeah. Right now, we relaunched a brand called Bean and Davis. It is a brand from 1931, and it closed in 1976. And mm. our business partner, Richard Beanan, is the great nephew of the original owner, mm. Herbert Beanan. So we met him while we were working on uh, Draper James. And we hit it off. He's really funny and just such a personality and kind of um, persuasive, I guess. We always joke and say he's the older brother we never wanted. <laughs> <laughs> so Ross and I, he really, we just hit it off. And he, we were talking about doing a few projects. And he had this bag, the regime, on mm -hmm. his desk that was also always on his dad's desk. He's like a fourth generation handbag and person. He, basically, people license out their bags to him that he produces them for all sorts of designers. Yes, yes. Yeah. He does the world. He doesn't really license them. He just provides kind of a service right. to produce them. He works he, you know, worked super early on with Kate Spade. Right. He's worked um, with Stodd and Rebecca Minkoff and he's just And handles the production, I guess. Yeah. Everywhere, Asia, yes. Italy. Anywhere. Um, not really in Italy. I think his biggest push was to do it in Asia when people didn't do that. When he started, like 25 years ago, he started with his dad. Did they have a house in Asia and in, in China? Or I mean, He initially had the license for Christian Dior, and I think they made mm -hmm. a lot of pieces in Japan. Mm -hmm. And he tells a story about Bernard Arnault coming in and like oh, wow. buying back all the licenses. And right. at that time, I think it really hit his he and his dad. And that's when he started his company he has now because – they were like, oh, my gosh, it was such a big part of their business. And he basically right. came in and said, I'm sorry. So yeah. he knows he is such a product person, and, and it's been so amazing doing this with him. What an interesting part of the business that not many people know about to think about production and the communication breakdown and you know and and just cultural breakdown I guess oh, I mean he's yeah. got to be like you said he's super charming I think you probably have to be in yeah. order to persuasive yeah, yeah. you're t speaking literally speaking a different language but also producing things for an American or um, European taste and also in China, when they started producing things in China 25 years ago, it was not it was right. not easy, and there was no email. Like, right? It was. <laughs> well, that's why I asked if he lived there. I mean, I think you'd have to spend a whole lot of time there. Yeah, I think he yeah. had to have traveled there a lot. Even when we were doing things at Mark there, it was over. You could really see a change in like five years. But initially, when you would send packages, specs off, it would not. You know, certain things that you just know in Italy that they know, like, oh, this should be navy, and they will pick the good navy because right. they're Italian. Right. <laughs> Whereas in China, you'll be like, where in the world did this navy come from? It's the <laughs> ugliest navy I've ever seen. <laughs> 
all, all of your production is in Italy, correct? Right. And you have always spent so much time there. Every time I'm there, you're in some other part of Italy. We're always like, we should meet. We should take a train and meet. <laughs> like, but tell no. me about that because I think, I do think, I mean, I think it about my job too. I think that the travel part and the um, assimilating, I guess, is a really big part of it. And if you can't do that, it's really hard to love your job. Oh, yeah. I love it. You're in mostly outside of Florence, which yes. is where handbags are mostly made. Yes, yes. No, I love it. And it's so important, I think, for Italians to, or they're so prideful of their language. Mm. And I think that's the biggest hurdle when you talk about working with China now and, and you can email and send pictures and go back and forth and do to design whole collections and never go there. Right. With Italy, it is not that way. It's still <laughs> not that way. It will never be that way. Yeah. And I think they're so prideful of their language that they won't write an email if they don't think it's perfect or they don't mm -hmm. know you very well. So I think that's one of the biggest hurdles. But also they just – they make things there there. They don't need to, like, send things back and yeah. forth to you. And that's how you get things done. You're sitting in the factory. You're, you're talking to them one-on-one. -on -one. And there's a big cultural difference, I think, about Ross and I just push, you know, where – I say to our agent there, sorry, I'm being a little American right now, but can you just <laughs> drop by and see if it's there? And yeah. many times it is, and I'm sure we're offending them. Mm -hmm. But, you know, we're here for a week, and we yeah, we just want to see it. I know a lot of people bring presents for the workers and little gifts and try to bribe them. <laughs> no, but but just totally. to also so they know who you are and they know who they're working for, I guess. Oh, yeah. All producing of our, for. All of our factories have Yankees. Mr. Varignani, <laughs> who makes the regimes, has a Yankees jersey with Varignani on the back. <laughs> yeah, everybody has a Yankees jersey at some point. I send them Levain cookies from New York. I love it. A lot of what they get really proud about is who's wearing it. Yeah. And oh, so they like to see. Yeah. Huh. Well, the bags are so magnificent. I don't know. I've really loved this project so much. And building the archive for Bean and Davis. I mean, now we mm. have about 350 pieces. Wow. And just researching the history and yeah. Laura McClaws Helms has done so much for us, like finding old ads. She has ads from Harper's and Vogue and Town and Country from the 30s to the wow. 70s and editorial. So we have this crazy, we're building this crazy archive. And then that's incredible. Building the, the aesthetic of it, I based it off of Richard's mom who worked for Halston in the 70s. And she was and, very glamorous. Yeah. I've seen pictures of her. So cool. So <laughs> glamorous. There's a lot of things that I'm doing now, like designing the fabrics and just cool things, which I think all of the suppliers that we're working with are so excited and that, mm -hmm. you know, things that necessarily they wouldn't bother with before if they didn't really care about the project, but they're really working with us and really excited and and the man that made the regine is he made it in 1960 he, no way he worked for his uncle on the Ponte Vecchio and he's he's still making it now at this time wow that's incredible isn't it amazing that all the things that you did though the sacks and I mean growing up at the Greenbrier and sacks and Mark and coach and all that that brought you to this that you needed all of those skills in order to do this really well what does success look like for you well, I really want to continue to do this in a, you know, you pray for things to grow and blow up. and Yeah. I, I mean, for me, success is being able to work. Yeah. You know? And being able to, to do it and do what you want and, to, yeah. and, and do what we're doing now. And sometimes I look and Ross and I will go to Italy at another time and it <laughs> sounds like such a jerk to complain about going to Italy, but it's like, oh, really? They can't just 
just this, can we get somewhere else just this one time? <laughs> but um, I think, and I hope, and you hope everything will grow and be a giant success, but then it's like, oh, then I won't have time to do this. And yeah. this is what I love the most is to be standing in a factory yeah. with a, an artisan and just, that's what makes me the most excited and have them like tweak things and we'll work on it together and so fun that's the coolest part my sister gave me a needlepoint pillow that says please god give me work to last all the days of my life i love it i mean i don't know maybe workaholic i don't know maybe it's the wrong thing but i just love it if you had meaningful work for the rest of your life that's that's the dream well that's how like my grandfather never retired and yeah we had made a brand video last spring with our friend chris brooks who's a photographer and he we interviewed all the Italian, like the wow. man that makes the regimes. And I asked all of them, you know, do you think you'll ever retire? And they're like, what? No. And do Why? what? <laughs> do what? Yeah. He's <laughs> probably 75. Do you think your grandfather would be proud of you? I don't know. I, I think a lot about what I can't remember whose podcast you were on. And <laughs> and they said, "Are your is your family proud of you? And they're like, and you said they don't get it. <laughs> what did they say? They they don't even know what I do. No. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. And my sister and I laugh about that. She's like, I don't get it. I'm not asking any questions. But um, I don't know if he would be proud of me. I I think he would be proud of me. We're in Bergdorf's now, and I know my grandmother would be proud of that. Yeah, she because would. Because she would get the Bergdorf's catalog every Christmas and say, <laughs> well, nothing of yours is in here. <laughs> So it makes me very proud to be in Bergdorf's, very proud to be in Capitol, obviously. But I don't know if he would be proud of me. I think he... He would. At the end of every podcast, we ask people what they wore to the prom, and I really can't wait to hear what you wore to the prom. (laughs) I had a really good prom dress. Tell me. I got it with my grandmother. We were in Palm Beach on Worth Avenue. It's Moschino. Whoa. Car wash bottom Lycra tank dress that came to like here. Mid-calf. Yep, mid-calf. No way. What color? Black. All black. Strapless? No, like a tank. Oh, tank, tank. Oh, cool. Tank top. Cool. Skin tight. (laughs) And. What kind of shoes? I wore, um, oh, shoot. Pointy, like a pointy with a weird, like very now, actually. Yeah. Like a weird, funny kitten, crookedy heel, but a little bit higher, probably, I don't know, 65 millimeter. And they were black embroidered, maybe potassois or something weird like that. Oh, I love potassois. <laughs> Mine were potassois, too. <laughs> they were? Yes. Um, I don't know, maybe Nina or something weird like that. They weren't like anything. Did you get those in Palm Beach, too, or this was after the fact? No, I must have gotten them All in the Palm same. Beach, and I had um, like black sheer. Oh yeah, stockings. Yes, you did. And jewels? Did you wear jewels, or just your corsage? <laughs> no wrist corsage, and I went with Ross Bolin, which is no funny. way. Yeah, <laughs> a different Ross. Ross. Um, <laughs> what? I don't even remember what my earrings were, but I had a convertible. And I drove home the I went to the Greenbrier to get my hair done and it was so bad and I put my top down on the way home to like To loosen it up. Yes. To like mess it up. So I love that. That was my I did have a cool brown dress. You really did. <laughs> it would be very now. It would be very it is very now. It is very now. 
What We Wore is produced by Capital and Balto Creative Media. The original song, Someone So Enchanting, was composed and performed by Britt Drazda. What We Wore is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. Find out more at queencitypodcastnetwork.com.